Would you like me to seduce you? That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Of all the gin joints and all the towns in all the world, he walks in a mind. Why the rum always Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It's a trap! Hey guys, welcome to the Celluloid Fiends Podcast. I'm your host, Mo Long, and tonight we have an awesome special guest. Hello. Am I introduce myself now? Yeah. Alright, cool. I'm Wes Clifton. And uh, I've been really wanting to get Wes on here. We've been really good friends, and I yeah. think we met like at Carolina Theater. We met at the Retro, man. Yeah. yeah. And he just has this incredibly extensive knowledge of films. Oh, man. So... I want to dig into that a little bit before we sure. get into the film. Okay. How did you become such a big film buff? Yeah, my uh, I grew up in a movie-loving family, you know, so, like, I don't know. I think people's families probably had all their their thing that they did, but for us, on Friday night, we would go um, in Mount Airy, where I'm from, like, uh, the Little Caesars was across the parking lot from the Blockbuster, so we would go, we would get a pizza while we were waiting on the pizza to cook, because back then, Hot and Ready wasn't a thing. We'd go across the Blockbuster, we'd grab a tape. Uh, my parents were really into action movies, uh, and so we would watch a lot of action movies and, and eat pizza on Friday nights. And that was just the way our, our family kind of bonded together. And so over time, I just was really into, into movies. I, I loved sci-fi and adventure movies. And uh, as I've gotten older, I, I specifically, I love horror movies and I love action movies. Um, and I think, you know, in college, I went to App State and we had a, there was a theater on campus, Greenbrier Theater, and there was this guy the word was that he was like a rich lawyer in Wilkesboro, which is like 30 minutes from Boone. And uh, he had this extensive movie collection. He had posters, props, memorabilia for all these movies. They would show double features of classic movies on campus for free every week. You come for free. You paid for the snacks. It was like 50 cents for a drink, 50 cents for a popcorn. And you could see all these movies. And the guy talked about it with such passion. And I think that really is kind of one of the things that cemented me as like a movie dork, man. So, yeah. That's, that's a beautiful journey. Yeah. And you mentioning going to Little Caesars and then going across the street to yep. get a tape from Blockbuster just yep. brought me back to going to Bizart Video and then going to Gumby's Pizza okay. and picking up a couple VHS tapes and a pizza with my family back in the day. Where's Bizart? Vizart was kind of uh, in, they had two locations in Chapel Hill, one in Carborough, and then one or two in Durham, and I think somewhere in Charlotte as well. But now I think I think, think there's still Vizart in Charlotte. I That's why I said correct. that. That's why I said that. I was like, that sounds familiar. So, you know, the the listeners won't, I'm a, I'm a big uh, video store nerd too. Like I often reminisce fondly for the days of the video store. So, And you collect dvds as well as vhs tapes yeah i'm a, i'm so i collect movies of all kinds like people ask me how many movies i own i have no clue how many movies i own many hundreds but like i started collecting horror movies in uh in college and i had like 250 or something and it's grown over the course of time and uh but then yeah i collect vhs as well uh as a pure exercise in nostalgia but i something special about a vhs tape man i, I love it it yeah, there's just like a different feeling when you're working with that medium and you have to rewind it. Yeah. And sometimes maybe you get that tracking going yes, dude, on. It's absolutely. The aesthetic of, of VHS. like, And like you said, it's a very, uh, it's a tactile thing. Like holding the cassette in your hand, hearing the sound of 
clunking it in and hitting rewind. There's just it's a special experiences. And there's movies that you grew up watching on VHS. Um, you know, that just feel good to watch on VHS, man. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I'd say the same even about TV. Like, yeah. the first several times I watched Big Trouble in Little China, it was on, like, yes. TNT or something growing up. So now watching it without the old TNT logo at the yeah. bottom really weirds me out. So I love, um, I won't get on too much of a tangent because we have a movie I guess we're talking about, but I, I love Beastmaster. And it's hard. It was the first tape we ever had in my family was the Beastmaster. We taped it off HBO. Don't tell HBO. Um, and so, like, uh, <laughs> but it, anytime I watch Beastmaster and I don't hear the old school HBO, like, logo. I mean, like, not logo. The... the We Know Drama? No. no. The HBO... What um, was it? It was the sound, the song that oh. came on before it. Like, before it would show a feature presentation. Yeah. And they said, now we're a feature presentation. But anytime I hear it and I, I watch Beastmaster, I'm always expecting to hear that HBO song to this to this day. But... Gotta yeah. get that. Yeah. Get a recording. Gotta play it. Uh, and so what, uh, before we talk about the film, what is, are some of your recent pickups on Blu-ray, DVD, VHS? Ooh, recent ones. Um, so I bought Creed 2 not long ago. I loved I loved Creed 2. I love all the Rocky movies. We were talking about that earlier. Um, so I picked up Creed 2 on Blu-ray. Um, I bought Blood Lake, <laughs> the new release of uh, Blood Lake, which is a, a shot on video uh slasher movie these kids who went on an actual vacation and then made a slasher movie shot on video picked that up just came up from agfa um what else man i um i haven't bought any tapes in a while i should do better about that those are the most recent oh i bought a five pack of van damme uh, movies on blu-ray recently like some of his later stuff like universal soldier the return and uh, (laughs) maximum risk and uh, double team with dennis rodman our ambassador to Wait, North what? Korea. Th- yeah. This is a film? Yeah, it's a film. It's uh, It really gets to showcase Dennis Rodman's acting chops, so you want to check that out. Did uh, he have acting chops? Uh, they exist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that you're going to write any great uh, theses on his uh, <laughs> acting chops. That's not going in the canon of cinema. And if the good people want to follow you, where can they follow you? Yeah, I um, I mean, I'm on Instagram. I'm Cliff Weston on Instagram, so um, kind of just mix my name up a little bit, uh, <laughs> and you'll find me on Instagram. And uh, I'm, I I dabble in fiction writing, and I have a website, uh, wdclifton.wordpress.com. If you want to check out some of my uh, fiction writing, I uh, primarily I, I dabble at it. It's nothing I do professionally. I primarily have written like classic sword and sorcery type stuff. I'm a big Conan buff and that kind of thing, and uh, I'm working on some Western stuff, so hopefully sometime soon I'll have some Western stuff to show for it. But right now it's primarily uh, fantasy, sword and sorcery. Drop him a follow on Instagram and check out his website. And if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Mitchell C. Long on Twitter and Instagram. You can read my writing at cupofmo.com. And if you haven't already done so, hit us up on iTunes. Go ahead and subscribe and give us a like, give us a rating. You can also check us out at Celluloid Fiends on Twitter and Facebook. So tonight we are talking about Revenge of the Ninja. This yeah. movie came out in 1983 and was directed by Sam Furstenberg. It is a canon film, so Ooh. you know it's going to be good. There is no critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes, mm. right? I was like, that's a little disappointing. Come on, critics. I want to know what Ebert said. But there is a 57% audience score, which is actually, you know what? I love this movie. It was great. But that 57% was a lot higher than I thought it was going to be. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, we're going to be lucky if we crack 30. So I was pleasantly surprised there. It had a budget 
of not anything. I don't know. I couldn't find that information. <laughs> it was pretty low, from my understanding. The, uh, pretty yeah. low budget. I, I assume it was a micro-budget film, but it made, it looks like, um, $13 million at the box office. So it was uh, it was fairly successful. Um, it was, according to Furstenberg, the director, I don't know if you want me to get into this now, but it was the first canon film um, that MGM picked up for distribution, So, which helped it significantly. And what led to MGM picking it up? I really don't know. Like, I think they just shopped it around. I mean, you know, like, so we talked a little bit earlier, like, ninjas were a thing. I mean, these canon movies are kind of what helped them to become a thing in the 80s, but um, it was just kind of, you know, martial arts were popular. Um, and I think uh, Enter the Ninja had already come out. I don't really know what caused them to pick it up, but I'm sure they just saw something in it, saw something in the film and thought it would do well, and it did. So, Yeah, I was surprised when I read about its box office performance because that was, that was pretty high. Yeah. And why don't you give us a recap of the plot for those who haven't seen it. All right, I didn't write this down, so I'm going to try to do it from memory. But uh, we were talking earlier, The this is not a movie you watch for the plot. Um, I don't mean to insult the plot in any way, but it's not really a movie that you watch for the plot. Uh, I tried to pay attention this time so I could describe it. Basically, um, Shokusugi, who was the, the man in ninja movies in the 80s, um, he plays a ninja named Cho Osaki. He is living in Japan when, for a reason we're never really told, his whole... His family's butchered by this clan of ninjas. We're not really told why. Uh, Cho shows up just in time to beat up all the ninjas uh, with his friend Braden, who's an American guy. Uh, Braden, at that point, convinces Cho to leave Japan, leave behind all the fighting and the violence. We don't really know why it's happening, and move to Jap- uh, move to America. He moves to America. He opens up an art gallery, and they specialize in these little Japanese dolls. So he and Braden are partners in this, um, and. Ch- uh, Cho Shokasugi has also opened up a dojo, um, which was a thing that he did, you know, in real life. Um, we find out that Braden is a middleman between the Japanese yakuza and the American mafia. They're using the dolls to transport heroin. Um, I don't remember exactly how Shokasugi ever finds out about that. I will say that um, the American mafia tries to stiff Braden and the yakuza. Uh, Braden says. Don't f with the Japanese. Uh, they uh, then Braden. Um, we find out Braden is a ninja. We found out that Braden himself is a ninja. We did not know that. Cho doesn't know that. Braden puts on his ninja outfit and he goes on a vengeance against the mafia. He kills the mafia don's <laughs> brother. He kills his uh, informant guy. He kills his son. Uh, and then uh, at some point, the mafia sends chief. <laughs> and some other, uh, some other thugs oh. to uh, bust up the gallery. So then Shokusugi has to fight the mafia thugs. Uh, Braden kidnaps Shokusugi's son, and then also somehow they wind up in the same place as the American mafia. So basically, Cho has to go get his son back from being kidnapped. Braden goes on like a vengeance ride against the mafia don. They meet up after Braden finishes with the Mafia Don. They meet up for possibly the greatest ninja fight ever filmed. Uh, spoiler alert. Cho wins. He kills Braden, the uh, mysterious white ninja. And uh, roll credits, man. And that was a phenomenal synopsis of this film. Thanks, that dude. was a great summary. I've seen this movie a few times. <laughs> uh, I think we could tell. So why did you pick this film? 
I love this movie. So, uh, as we were talking about earlier, I, I, I don't want to date myself too much, I guess, but I was a child in the 80s and early 90s, and ninjas were everywhere. Martial arts was everywhere, but ninjas was every, were everywhere. You are a big Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan. Die that was hard. all the rage, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Three ninjas, things like, things like that. So just growing up, like ninjas were a thing for me. Video games, Ninja Gaiden, and things like that um, were just huge for me. Uh, when I was in college, I got, I had a period where I got really into reading about ninjas. I don't know if this movie started it or if I already was in that and this movie just happened to come into my life. But I remember being on a trip. I was in a, uh, like an educational program. We had to go on all these summer trips. Me and my friend were staying at this house. Revenge of the Ninja just comes on TV randomly while we're, we weren't looking for that. It just came on TV randomly. And I was like, let's check this out. Ninjas. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I've always loved over-the-top action movies. This is certainly that. Uh, <laughs> and when I got to the final fight scene, which, as I said a minute ago, I think is just one of the great martial arts ninja fights ever filmed. Everything about it blew my mind. And so this movie stuck with me for a long time. I love ninja movies to this day, but back then, in the early 2000s, um, it wasn't like now, you know, when you could like just stream things. There was no Amazon streaming. A lot more movies are in print now that weren't in print back then. It's weird to think because it wasn't that long ago. But like I knew what American Ninja was. I'd never seen American Ninja at that time. I knew that Shokasugi had made other movies, but I just they weren't as easy to come by. So this movie stayed with me because it was like to me it was the ninja movie, and I would still maintain that I think it's the ninja movie. Yeah, so when we, we sat down to watch this together, and you had told me that you loved the final fight scene. Yeah, man. And I was a little worried it wouldn't live up to the hype, but I gotta say, that was one of the best fight scenes I've seen in a ninja movie, and in any action film, man. I'd even say. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. Uh, so how many, if you had to guess, how many times do you think you'd say you've watched Revenge of the Ninja? I don't know, maybe, it's probably less than ten. Um, maybe eight or nine, I don't know, maybe eight or nine over the years, like, because I saw it on TV that once, you know, and then it just kind of lived in my brain for years. I tracked it down like a used copy of Ed McKay years later, and so basically now, anytime that I can, like, if the word ninja is mentioned, or if somebody says they want to watch a ridiculous action movie, and I can force people to watch it, I will force people to watch Revenge of the Ninja. So I've had it on DVD for a while. When I started collecting VHS, I made a list of my top 10 VHS tapes I wanted. Revenge of the Ninja was one of them. I managed to track it down a few years ago, so... Uh, I've probably seen it eight to ten times, yeah. Has your opinion of this film evolved at all over time? I think having seen it a few times, you start to pick out um, maybe some of the flaws. You know what I mean? It's not a it's, it's not an unflawed film, um, but I love it for what it is. But, you know, you start to notice some of the flaws and, and things like that. At the same time, I think my appreciation has um heightened because uh in recent years like i've always been a big action movie nut i told you earlier my family was super into action movies but in over the course of time i have just like become i guess an action movie nerd and so i've gotten really into into studying up on canon films which is the company that made the movie um studying up on shokosugi's career so uh studying up on sam furstenberg the director's career who like i definitely want to mention that name on here i'm a big fan of sam furstenberg's movies um and so uh, the more you find out about these people and how this movie was made and kind of their other work it just kind of this became a jumping off point to me for my love of canon films ninja films sam furstenberg films so yeah yeah this was my first time watching it and this is the only sam furstenberg film i've seen i've seen a lot of other canon stuff but i did take a look at some of the other furstenberg films which you can yeah. talk a little bit more about sure but 
I was scrolling through the list and all of them just sounded like knockoffs of famous films that you would find in the bargain bin at like Walmart or something. Like there was, I think, uh, Cyborg Cop and Cyborg Cop 2, which I was like, this seems like it's a a bootleg version of RoboCop or the Terminator. And the trailer will tell you that same thing. (laughs) So (laughs) what what are some of the other Furstenberg films that you've seen? So Furstenberg... um... He did Revenge of the Ninja. He did the follow-up to Revenge of the... So Revenge of the Ninja is the second of a loosely affiliated trilogy, the Ninja trilogy, right? It started with Enter the Ninja. Um, Shokosugi played the villain, Hasegawa, in that movie. Um, And then he was the star for Revenge of the Ninja. Then they followed it up almost immediately with a crazy movie called Ninja 3, The Domination, which uh, Sam Furstenberg directed, Shokosugi stars in again. It mixes um, breakdancing... Uh, or maybe more like Flashdance kind of thing, with an exorcism movie with a ninja movie. It is insane. Ninja 3, The Domination. Um, what the actual oh, man, fuck? It is, it's a something to see. Okay. Um, Shout Factory has a great, uh, or yeah, Shout Factory has a great Blu-ray release of Ninja 3. Uh, Furstenberg did American Ninja. He did American Ninja 2, which we're both fans of. Oh, yes. Uh, he did American Samurai. He did... Um, Probably Furstenberg's best movie, I think Furstenberg, I've heard him say this in interviews, I agree, um, is uh, Avenging Force with uh, Dudikoff, Steve James. Uh, it's uh, it's like a most dangerous game kind of movie. It's sort of like a hard, late, it came before Hard Target with Van Damme, but it's sort of like Hard Target. Uh, I would watch that. Avenging Force is great, man. That sounds like a good cast, too. Anytime that you put Furstenberg, Steve James, and Michael Dudikoff together, that's an electric team. That's like the Holy Trinity right it's there. A, and they were great <laughs> friends, too. Like They maintained a friendship off offset. So, yeah. And that probably helped to elevate that film yeah. to a greater status. Yeah, that's a fantastic movie. And Canon Films, of course. I love them. And you've seen the documentary about them. Yeah, Electric Boogaloo. It's great. It tells the story of these two uh, Israeli... Uh, immigrants uh, who just wanted to start a huge film company like they just wanted to be hollywood filmmakers and they created one of the craziest film companies that ever existed man it is such a weird company because there's almost a john carpenter element to a lot of their productions in that you can just tell canon maintained complete creative control over the projects and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't and also it's just weird how the budgets varied so much. Revenge of the Ninja is very much a low-budget film. But then Masters of the Universe and Life Force had insane budgets. And actually, Life Force siphoned some of the budget from Masters of the Universe. That's a shame. Yeah, I love Masters is. of the Universe. I've never seen Life Force, as we discussed earlier. I need to see that. It's a gaping hole. Yeah, we, we gotta patch that hole in, in Wes's uh, film knowledge he yeah. needs to watch that i love toby hooper you would love that one yeah yeah but uh they're they're just such an intriguing company to me and actually you can't see us but wes is rocking the canon hat right now yeah man i came prepared i brought props i'm wearing my range of the ninja t-shirt i got my canon hat I'm ready to go man <laughs> yeah um so let's talk about a couple of the props that you brought all right and you have a magazine signed by yeah. shokosugi I have a magazine signed by Shokosugi. Yeah, I've been, ever since I saw Revenge of the Ninja years ago, I think Shokosugi's an interesting dude. He was the 80s movie ninja. I mean, like, once he did Revenge of the Ninja, that's that's what he turned into was this movie ninja, right? He did all these other ninja films. I said Ninja 3, The Domination. He did um, Pray for Death. He did Nine Deaths of the Ninja. He did um, uh, Rage of Honor. Um, 
Then he did some other movies that weren't necessarily ninja related. But uh, he was on all these ninja magazines. There was a, a VHS series of like really low budget ninja movies that he was not in. But he they called it Shokusugi's Ninja Theater, and he would <laughs> uh, he would introduce every one of them by demonstrating some kind of ninja fighting technique. Uh, and so Shokusugi's just an interesting guy to me. Uh, he has written some novels which I wasn't aware of, and uh, I follow him on Instagram and a few. A uh, year or so, well, actually, 2018 is dated right here, February 12th, 2018. Uh, they did a, a contest, and you were supposed to read his novel. I'll confess, I actually hadn't read the novel, um, but I took a guess at the answer, and I ended up winning third prize. The first prize was a sword used in Revenge of the Ninja. Second prize was his leather jacket that he wore in Rage of Honor. Third prize was a stack of ninja magazines. What they ended up doing was splitting it up, and several of us won third prize, and we got an individual ninja magazine. So I have this... Uh, Ninja Magazine from April 1987, signed, to Best Always, Ninja Shokusugi. That is a treasure right there. I love it. Uh, I was surprised I didn't know it was going to be autographed, so when I got it, I was really stoked. And where does Revenge of the Ninja fall on your list of favorite Shokusugi movies? Number one. Okay, that, yeah. that's what I would have assumed. Yeah, number one. But never knew. Could yeah, have been a sleeper one. hit. Okay. And now you mentioned earlier some of the flaws that this film has, yeah, which sure. this was my first time watching it. I feel like I picked up on a few, but I think one of the most glaring is, is something that you touched on earlier, which is chief. Uh. <laughs> it, this is not a politically correct inclusion in the film. So uh, the mob boss, uh, Caffieri, uh, Caffiero, calls in a few of his henchmen and one of them is a native american guy who walks in and his name is fucking chief it's chief he's got braids he's got full native american stereotypical native american garb he fights with tomahawks um no explanation of that so i watched the movie to prepare for this i watched the movie with the commentary i think sam Furstenberg's is a really interesting guy and when it got to that part i was really hoping that he would explain that and basically he just said obviously this movie doesn't take itself entirely seriously, and this is kind of like a, just a, I forgot how you described it, but he's like, it's sort of a goofy part, just to kind of be fun. <laughs> but yeah, it, it did definitely have a is. a cartoonish and campy vibe to it. And I think that was the point. I mean, canon films were not really known for, especially at that point, and these lower budget ones were not really known for being culturally sensitive, I guess that's a good word. And also, one of the flaws I would point out, obviously, is a common flaw in low-budget kind of exploitation action movies at the time and horror movies and everything else is uh, the treatment of women was not always super respectful. I mean, there's a lot of misogyny in, in the way that certain women, female characters were treated. Not always. Ninja 3, The Domination, um, the main character is a female, um, you know, so. Yeah, that was actually another flaw that I was thinking as I, as I watched this film because it, uh, it was Kathy who was in, yeah. in love with Cho and yeah. she was his assistant sometime in the finale she's like kidnapped and she's tortured by being tied up in a white tank top in a hot tub yeah and to me two things came to mind first the misogyny yeah and also that was an area where i was like maybe they just ran out of budget and they were like okay we have access to a hot tub we don't have any budget left for anything in the wardrobe department what can we shoot that's really low budget? Yeah, and I think, you know, these movies, anybody who talks about them, whether it be Furstenberg, whether it be Menachem Galan from Canon Group, will call these sort of teenage male fantasy films, right? Like, 
Um, so they knew their audience. They were kind of trying to titillate that audience. You know, a lot of movies at the time did that. It's not necessarily excusable. It's just a thing that happened in a lot of exploitation movies targeted at young men. Um, but that's, I would say that. And then, obviously, like we said earlier, the acting's a little wooden. Uh, I mean, you know, Shokosugi um, was a dynamic presence on screen, I think. Um, but it's mostly because of his physicality um, and his passion for what he was doing. At the time, he struggled with his English so badly, he was dubbed in this film. Um, so he's dubbed for the entire film. Later movies, they let him use his own voice. His accent is so thick, it's really hard to understand at times. But uh, I think the acting, I mean, you know, even the guy who plays Braden, uh, you know, uh, I wrote his name down. I want to give credit where credit's due. Uh, Arthur Roberts was the actor who played Braden. And, you know, I just didn't think, he was a little wooden, um, you know, but hey, man, it's a low budget action movie. You don't watch this movie for the plot, you watch it for the fight sequences, which are astounding. Absolutely. And you mentioned it. A term earlier that I was unfamiliar with previously, which is ninja exploitation. Yeah, I don't know how official of a term that is, but I mean, it kind of is a way I've heard the ninja craze of the 80s described, man. So I often, I've read Revenge of the, I mean, sorry, Enter the Ninja, which was the movie that pre- preceded this. It starred, um, oh, why am I blanking on the guy's name? He starred in the Django movie, Franco Nero, uh, who was in the original Django. Uh, he's an Italian actor, but he also dubbed for Enter the Ninja. Uh, and Enter the Ninja is often given credit for introducing the concept of ninjas into Western films. I would disagree. I would say You Only Live Twice, James Bond, mm-hmm. and uh, and The Octagon also came out before that with Chuck Norris had ninjas. Um, Which I haven't seen. Yeah, and I actually haven't seen the whole thing either. I'm just going to confess that shame on, on the podcast, but I, um, I'm getting to it. Uh, but so, you know, it kicked off this whole ninja craze. So there's Shokosugi, like I said earlier, on all these magazines. There's video games, Ninja Gaiden. Uh, I remember a game called Wrath of the Black Manta. There was, And then there was all the other martial arts stuff, Double Dragon. And, um, you know, you had Bloodsport would come out later, and which is kind of a ninja movie in, in the, the loosest of terms. Uh, you know, you had Ninja Turtles became a thing. You had Three Ninjas. You had, I don't know if you remember, Surf Ninjas, but that was a great <laughs> movie in my opinion. Wait, Surf Ninjas? Uh, I, yeah. I've never seen this. Look it up. Okay. <laughs> it's an interesting film <laughs> if you want to see Tone Loke at his finest. Um, but, yeah. So, you know, ninja exploitation. It basically just became this this thing. Ninjas were everywhere for a while in the 80s. They were everywhere. Um, every young kid I knew, you know, wanted to be a ninja. So, Do you think that there will be a resurgence of that at some point in another ninja exploitation movement in cinema. And I hope so. I'll do whatever I can <laughs> to <laughs> encourage that. I mean, you know, like the interesting point that the Canon documentary we talked about earlier made at the end was they were talking about how Canon style films are still being made. You just have to search them out. So for example, in 2009, there was a film called Ninja Assassin, which I also haven't seen. I need to, I've been watching, I watched the trailer, uh, in preparation for this podcast because I've been on a big ninja kick obviously since we started talking about this but Ninja Assassin they kind of brought Shokosugi out of retirement and he plays I think the villain I've not seen it and that's 2009 um, there is um, Scott Adkins is like a kind of a B action star now uh, and he was in a movie called Ninja and another one called Ninja Shadow of a Tear which starred Kane Kasugi show's son that was in Revenge of the Ninja as well um, so I mean there are ninja movies being made Will there be a resurgence like there was in the 80s, 90s? I don't, I don't really know. And, you know, Ninja was sort of a a continuation of a martial arts trend that had been ongoing in films. You know, first, I don't remember which came first, but I want to say maybe karate came first, and then kung fu was a big thing, and then Ninja. You know, and then now we have all the MMA and, you know, all those kind of movies. So, Interestingly, I actually watched Ninja Assassin. Did you? 
back in the day. Yeah, uh, I rented it from DVD Netflix, which I actually I still subscribe to. I love that. Uh, I'll, I'll give that a quick plug because they have such a vast library of films that you can't find on streaming services. Oh, that's cool. And I just get them delivered straight to my mailbox. So that was your first Shokasugi movie. Yeah, and I guess it was. Which uh, I, I didn't realize he was in it and, until just now when you mentioned it. Uh, Much older. He looks different. Yeah. But that was actually quite a good film. The trailer looks awesome. And for some reason, I was watching a lot of martial arts movies at the time. It was like a couple of years back. So I watched that and I watched, uh, what was it? Shogun Assassin, which was like the first two oh, yeah, yeah. Wolf and Cub movies put together. That's a crazy movie. <laughs> that movie is batshit. And I found out about that because I was listening to the... Jizz of the Genius yeah. album, Liquid Swords, yeah. which samples that. Have you seen Lone Wolf and Cub? Uh, I, I've no, I've just seen you Shogun sh- Assassin. You should Shogun okay. Assassin like was cool for the campiness, but like it makes zero sense if you recall the the actual sh- uh, Lone Wolf and Cub movies, which I only saw within the last year because at the retro film series, which we both love, they did a double feature of Revenge of the Ninja and Lone Wolf and Cub, and so that was the first time I'd seen Lone Wolf and Cub. It was the first time I'd seen Revenge of the Ninja on the big screen. Um, and so I got on into that, the Lone Wolf and Cub stuff from that. Yeah, I, I need to revisit those. If you had to pick your top five favorite martial arts films, Whew. what would they be? You know, man, I, I figured you might ask me a question like that. And so I was thinking about ninja films earlier, but I didn't know you would expand it to martial arts. Makes it tough. I'm going to say, I normally say my top martial arts film is Bloodsport. I love Bloodsport. Um, just a great movie. Man, martial arts films, it's so expensive. I haven't watched Bloodsport yet, but you you, uh, you did get me to buy that for a dollar on VHS recently. So such a good purchase. You did such a it. great job. Yeah, that uh, was a, you know what that was a very well spent dollar, dude. For a dollar, <laughs> I'd buy that for a dollar. Right? I uh, yeah. So Bloodsport number one, man, put me on the spot. I mean, I've got Revenge of the Ninja on my brain, so I might as well throw Revenge of the Ninja in as number two. I do love it. Um, man, I don't want to just keep listing Van Damme movies, even though I love Van Damme for martial arts. I will. I'm going to go number three and put another Van Damme in there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw Lionheart in there. I it's think okay. Lionheart is a great martial arts film. Uh, Enter the Dragon probably has to be four. Oh, that's a classic. Um, yeah, and uh, man, what would number five be? Martial arts films. I'm going to say Best of the Best. Eric okay. Roberts, Philip Ree, Best of the Best. I don't even think I've heard of that one. Man. Uh, if, so if I'm, I'm picking my best martial arts ones, I'm going with... Uh, you know, I'm going to throw Revenge of the Ninja in there. I quite enjoyed that. Hey, man. I'm going to have to go with Shogun Assassin. Okay. Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah! I'm counting that as a martial yeah, arts Yeah, please do. Oh, yes. I might throw Ninja Assassin in there, just okay. because it was, it was one of the few contemporary martial arts films that I can really think of. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like I've watched too many more recent ones, and... American Ninja 2. Yes, sir. Good choice. I can't. So I obviously I should have put American Ninja 2 on my list, and I should have put Karate Kid on my list too. I, I'm, now I'm thinking about it. I love Karate Kid. Oh, Karate Kid's a classic. Yeah, it's a little different than some of these other martial arts movies where they really focus on the fighting, but I mean, it is a martial arts film. Oh, yeah. So one of my favorite elements of this film was actually the finale, and I would put it up there with my favorite final fight scenes in any movie. Like, obviously, it didn't have the same budget as some of these, but. I'd compare it to Die Hard or even Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Because it was just so epic. And it almost feels like one of those, and I think you may have even pointed this out, but one of those like final boss battles yes. in a video game where 
you go in and it's kind of like Max Payne style where you're just anyone you see you're killing and Cho is just killing everyone that's in his path uh, and there's even this weird part with these like ninja dummies. Oh, yeah. Which, where did those even come from? I will say this. So, if you get into, like, reading up about the ninja, which, like, I would consider myself an amateur ninja enthusiast. Like, <laughs> I, I've, I've read, I brought, I brought a book here about, uh, it's from Masaki Hatsumi, who is considered to be one of the last practitioners of ninjutsu in, um, in Japan. Uh, and, uh, if you start reading about the ninja, like, a lot of the stuff they do in that final fight scene are parts of the ninja lore. Like, that whole final fight scene seems geared around using every ninja weapon, and, like, they do, if you remember, they start, they, the two ninjas, I mean, you're including the whole last building scene, right, when you say that he's killing everybody. Absolutely. Which is, which is all great, and Braden is doing his fair share of killing, but, like, he spits the, uh, caltrops in somebody's face, yeah. and, like, uh, it's insane, but the final ninja <laughs> fight... They start off, they square off the two ninjas, they bow to each other, and they start doing these hand gestures, which were called, my Japanese is non-existent, uh, but it's called Kuji-in. Uh, and these hand gestures were believed to be able to like channel power by the ninjas. And so Shokasugi was super into all the ninja stuff. And so he brought that to the film, you know, wanted them to do these finger hand gestures before they fought and they did and then they have this crazy fight scene where they use every weapon known to man uh i remember the thing that jumped out at me i've mentioned already i love just over the top ridiculous action movies and i remember watching the movie shokasugi's sword is clearly knocked out of his hand at one point and yet later he has his sword again who knows where it came from no explanation of how he got that sword back where do all these weapons come from? He's got them in his clothes somewhere, but they just use all these weapons. It's nuts. But that's that's sort of the beauty of this film it is just how completely and totally extra it is. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> and I also do appreciate the simplicity of the plot quite a yeah. bit as well. Like It's pretty bare bones. It's a straightforward, right there in the title, revenge movie. Yeah. And you, like you said at the beginning, when you were giving the overview of the plot, you don't know why they killed Joe's family at the beginning. No clue. At all. That's yeah. just not explained. But I kind of like that. It's like, this happens, and moving on. Yeah, they, they make some brief mention of the violence. And so, I guess you're supposed to assume that ninja violence is commonly occurring in Japan in the 1980s or 1970s, or whenever it's supposed to take place. I guess, but <laughs> is it, isn't one of the uh, major principles of being a ninja stealth and they yeah. did not have any semblance of stealth. They yeah. straight up butchered everyone sure. and left carnage all over the place. Yeah. Complete with like ninja star throwing stars. In the in the kids' head. That was ballsy. Yeah, that was actually something I was not expecting at all. Because typically there's that trope of uh, like infant immortality. Yeah. And this completely subverts that. In the opening scene, they straight up kill a kid, and I, I was, I was floored by that. That kid, that kid is played by Shokosugi's youngest son, Shane. Uh, the film um, was originally given an, uh, essentially an X rating uh, because of that and a couple other things, uh, and it had to be significantly. Uh, well, I don't know how, how significantly. There were certain cuts that had to be made in order to get it R rating. 
Um, that was one of them. So if you watch the theatrical version or you watch the VHS version, the shuriken to the child's forehead is significantly cut down, as are a couple of the other more grisly scenes later on. Yeah. So is there an extended cut of this, like an unrated director's cut or something? I mean, not that I've ever seen, but if you listen to... So I've been listening to some uh, Sam Furstenberg interviews. I watched, like I said, I went back and rewatched some of the stuff in that Electric Boogaloo documentary, and they talk about how... Um, Furstenberg says that, yes, there was a lot of stuff shot that you don't see in the film. How much How much are they remembering correctly? I don't know. Another thing that I heard mentioned in the documentary, but that was never mentioned in the, um, the commentary track or anything by Furstenberg, is the notion that they had shot this film, and they did a screening of it, and it didn't do well. And so then Menachem Golan, who is one of the main dudes behind Canon, apparently just like, came up with a new plot on the spot and they twisted the footage and they shot a few new things, including the opening scene and, and made this whole new plot kind of into it. So like how much of that is true? I don't know, but there certainly seems to have been footage that you don't see in the movie. I would, I would love to see some of that. Oh yeah. Unused footage. Yeah. Well, it's not on the Blu-ray release, so maybe one day, who knows, but that's disappointing. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe someone shout factory arrow will do like yeah. another release with with some of those deleted scenes i could easily see shout factory doing it like i said they did put out a great release of ninja three so uh do you think this is a cult film yeah i guess it depends on how do you define how would you define cult film i, I would define cult film as something that when it came out had maybe a mixed or lukewarm reception critically as well as with audiences and then saw some sort of resurgence in popularity after it came out on home video i think i would certainly say that i think i mean like we said earlier it did fairly well at the box office for what it was but i think you know especially i mean it really helped kick off the ninja trend i mean which was a, a thing so yeah it wasn't obviously super well critically acclaimed and it's not for that you know it's not for them it's for us. It's for the viewers. It's for people who love this kind of movie. Um, so yeah, in that way, I would say certainly, I, I would say it's a cult film, and I would say probably Shokosugi's a cult star. Like I mean, you know, he was a he made a career out of this. But I mean, you can go out on the streets and even ask most movie buffs like who's Shokosugi, they don't know. You know, but you if you know martial arts movies, if you know ninja movies, you certainly know. Yeah, like I I watched Ninja Assassin. Granted, it was a couple years back, but I did not remember he was in it. Yeah. And I think even when we were watching uh, Revenge of the Ninja and seeing his name in the opening credits, like, it did not ring a bell at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think this is a cult film, uh, and I think it deserves that status. Yeah. 100%. Where do you think this movie, if at all, could be improved? I mean, I think, obviously, you know, the acting could be a little better. I mean... And some of that is just is just the nature of making a film like this, right? They're using whoever they can get. It's Furstenberg's first action movie. I don't think we've said that yet on the on the pod here, but like I did not realize it's that. Furstenberg's first action movie. So he had been really wanting to be a filmmaker. He had made a drama movie and kind of saw himself becoming like a dramatic director. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so then he, he met Menachem Golan. They were both um, they were both Israeli immigrants to the United States and. Um, he met Menachem Golan and he just kind of started working with Canon Films. He became like an assistant director or whatever and just kind of worked his way up. Revenge of the Ninja comes out. They say, hey, Sam, can you direct an action film? And he says, absolutely, I can direct an action film. And he told him he could. He told him he was well prepared to do that. He had no experience with action <laughs> movies. Uh, and so apparently um, uh, Shokosugi 
um, really helped him um, to get all that together. He was like a ninja expert and a trained martial artist. And also, um, I wrote the name down, uh, Stephen... I'm trying to remember the fight, the stunt co coordinator for this film. Stephen Lambert uh, was the stunt coordinator. Apparently did a lot. By the way, Braden, we haven't mentioned, wears a mask whenever he's in his ninja outfit. Braden wears a silver mask, the villain of the film. So apparently most of the time when that mask is on, it's Stephen Lambert, the stunt coordinator, playing the ninja. Because the guy who played Braden uh, was not really a physical martial <laughs> artist. But Stephen Lambert was, so he's got the mask on. You can do anything. But yeah, I think you're asking me about... I got on a tangent there. You're asking me about ways to improve it. I think definitely the acting... Probably could be a little better. I don't love how a lot of these low-budget films, the dialogue is dubbed, which they would do, you yeah. know, to save money and stuff on sound. Uh, the plot, obviously, could be improved a little bit. Certainly, if it were made now, some of the misogynistic aspects, which are not... We made it sound... We talked about it. We made it sound like it's overwhelming. It's not. It's a very small part of the film. But I think that could certainly, you know, would not happen today for good reason. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, that's about it, man. Just tighten up the plot maybe work on the acting a little bit but like you gotta have Shokosugi as Cho Osaka like, absolutely you have to have him yeah and, but and in some ways yeah I, I agree about the misogyny I would I'd cut that out yeah and you're right it was few and far between but still I think the movie would be even better without it uh but I think part of the charm for me was just how low budget a lot of the yeah. plot was and yeah and how bare bones it was and also even some of the dialogue like i think so they uh, after the attack in japan they moved to salt lake city i think it is yeah but they never say that i don't know that yeah. was something i read like after it was, the it was fact. filmed yeah <laughs> and there, I, I uh the son gets like picked on by these bullies yes. and there's some line about like we're new here but they, they've been living like in oh, Salt Lake yeah. City for six years. Yeah, right. Like, oh. But they're still new here. Yeah, yeah right. like we don't know anyone. Yeah. we have to we have to keep to our own. You know, like. <laughs> but that that scene you're bringing up, we haven't talked about yet. No, uh, we haven't talked at all about how Shokosugi's oldest son Kane was a well-trained martial artist from childhood, and in this film, I don't know how old he is. He can't be older than ten tops. And he's just doing all kinds of crazy martial arts through the whole movie. He's like that. It shows son starred with him in many films, and they were like that in all of his films. Yeah, that was a weird subplot. And during the third act, the son, who's this small child, goes on sort of this rescue mission, and yeah. he rescues Kathy. He does. And there's even a fight scene with Kathy when she's yep. been hypnotized. There's yeah. some like when and I he was, beats her. He does. And I yeah. think when we were watching it, I, I think it was a uh, was it was it you or we watched it with our friend Donnie. I, 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 it was either you or Donnie. I think said like would that even be possible for like a kid to beat an adult yeah, like I don't that? Who said it either? Yeah, but I mean. The kid was actually he's Shokosugi's real son. He was trained in martial arts since he was a little kid, and now he's a legit Japanese film star and martial arts star and everything. So, yeah, that was definitely one of the more over the top elements of this film, like seeing the little kid running around and like rescuing Kathy from the hot tub, and then he fights. I don't think the character had a name, but this like large, tatted up henchman oh, yeah. i don't know what that character's name would be the in the commentary track they called him professor tanaka jr or something like that because <laughs> we haven't mentioned that professor toru tanaka is in this film former wrestler pops up in tons of action movies he's sub-zero in the running man he's in this film oh briefly, yeah he very is briefly. yeah uh oh and the running man is that's just a classic yeah man i love that film oh and then 
of course, I, th- I also thought it was really over the top, the fact that uh, the there's Dave Hatcher, the oh, yeah. friend... Who we haven't even talked about. And he's... So, he's a member of the police force, but he's a martial arts trainer for the police. Yeah. Which, is, that, is that even a, a thing? I don't know, man. Like, supposedly... <laughs> supposedly Steven Seagal has gone around and taught martial arts to various police forces across the country, and, and he's a real police officer himself. You know, Steven Seagal, lawman. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just, I feel like there are a lot of characters in this, but... Yeah. And, and some things seem like a little amiss. Sure. Uh, but And I, I just love the fact that Dave brings in Cho... To help like investigate and show immediately recognizes that the murders are by a ninja. So there's a thing in all these ninja movies of the time, right, where like only a few people know what a ninja is, which I mean, at that time, maybe that was more realistic because like I said, it wasn't a commonly known thing until these movies started coming out. But in almost every movie, you'll remember from the American Ninja films, and <laughs> oh, yeah. there's almost always a point when somebody says, what is a ninja? And they have to explain it. And so this one, Shokosugi describes what a ninja is, you know, and they talk about the arts of assassination and all this stuff. What is a low pan? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, uh, I think when they started investigating and Cho mentioned that they were ninjas, there was that whole discussion of like, well, what is a ninja? Because they, they had the shuriken. Yeah. That, that's how he knew. They had the shuriken. Yeah. yeah, but it did absolutely remind me of the American Ninja films, which I've actually been rewatching lately. Because yeah. like the first two, it, it's definitely like Michael Dudikoff's character trying to convince everyone else that ninjas are attacking, yeah. and no one believes him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't either. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> no, because it <laughs> seems far fetched. Uh, but I, I liked that sort of investigative aspect to the film and because in some ways it almost feels like a like a mystery film yeah and i liked the fusion of that sort of detective style with the martial arts genre yeah sam Furstenberg said he was basically trying to make a he loved as i said earlier he had not been super he had not been well experienced in action movies but he loved um james bond movies and he had seen, Shokosugi showed him a lot of the Hong Kong martial arts kung fu movies. And so he said he was kind of trying to make a combination James Bond and then like martial arts kung fu movie. So, Yeah, I, I guess I sort of see where some of the James Bond influence comes into play. Like with the drug smuggling mm-hmm. uh, subplot. But yeah, I, it, that didn't really give me too much of a James Bond sure, vibe. Sure, yeah. yeah. But I guess that's because I associate it with some like very slick, yeah, spy, yeah. and Cho's not very slick. Which, uh, well, uh, yeah, Cho in this film maybe not. Well, I mean, he's a ninja. Yeah, uh, it, but, it's it's a completely different style. Yeah, right, he's a ninja. But now fighting. later Shokasugi movies, not to keep getting on tangents, but they become much more um, James Bondish to the fact where in Black Black Eagle he is a secret agent essentially. So. Yeah, you you had mentioned that earlier when we were discussing Revenge of the Ninja. Yeah. What? So, can you talk a little bit about that film? About Black Eagle? Yeah. Um, Black Eagle was a sort of I'll, I'll say later. It was the late '90s, I think '89. Um, Shokosugi film uh, starred Jean Claude Van Damme in one of his earlier roles as the villain of the film, or one of the villains of the film. Uh, I would say that movie um, is mostly noteworthy just because you see Shokosugi and Jean Claude Van Damme have an on-screen fight twice in the film. Um, so pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it's basically just Shokosugi. He actually doesn't even ever say anything about ninjas or anything in that movie. He's just a 
American secret agent who's also <laughs> Japanese, but he's an American secret agent who has to go on a mission in Malta against Jean-Claude Van Damme, who is playing a Soviet. Ooh, I would watch that. Yeah. And that just also sounds kind of refreshing because Shokasugi kind of got out of the ninja yeah. stereotype yeah. that he'd been cast in. But, mm-hmm. I mean, he was great at that yeah. role, so, you know, why not let him flourish? It was his thing. Where on your list of favorite canon films does this fall? Real high, man. Uh, it's got to be real high for me. I don't know exactly. I mean, it's got to be top five. Um, I'd put American Ninja 2 in there. I'd put Avenging Force in there. Um, for me, i got to put Masters of the Universe in there. That's a movie that holds a special place in my heart. Masters of the Universe, great canon movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, this would have to be in there. It's hard to think, because um, canon's done so many different things. I mean, Cobra's a canon film. But I would say, where does it fall? Definitely top five. Probably top three. Probably top three. Yeah, for sure. Top top three. I think it would probably my top three would probably be Masters of the Universe... Um, this um, American Ninja Two, and then right after that would be Avenging Force, which I do think is Furstenberg's best film. But I think just sentimentally, I like uh, these these two other Ninja movies maybe a little better. I would put this in my top five favorite canon films, but not in my top three. My top three are probably Life Force, mm-hmm. Masters of the Universe, yeah. American Ninja Two, and then Revenge of the Ninja right after that. Yeah. So it's that makes yeah. the cut. It makes the top five. Yeah. Uh, if this had a bigger budget, do you think that would have helped the film, or do you think it would have hurt it? I mean, my opinion, it could only have helped, right? I mean, I think it's always, this plot is always going to be a B movie. And I mean, you can use that loosely, but like, I even described Jurassic World to people as a B movie, and they could argue it because it was such a big budget, people are like, oh, it's a big budget film. I'm like, yeah, but plot-wise, that was a B movie. And this is always going to be a B-movie type plot, but you throw more money into it, they're going to have probably some better special effects. I mean, at the time, everything was practical, which I think is great anyway, but they're going to have better sound uh, quality with the dialogue and stuff like that. They're going to be able to afford more um, more, more shooting time. They're going to be able to go to more locations and things like that. I mean, you know, they, they went to Salt Lake City, which it turned out great, but that was just because the Salt Lake City people really wanted them, and they cut them good deals and stuff. The movie's supposed to take place in L.A., which, I mean, every movie's supposed to take place in L.A., but... Yeah, I mean, I think I think a bigger budget could only have helped. Maybe I'm wrong, but it would have been. I would have loved to see what throw some money at Sam Furstenberg and turn that dude loose. I'd love to see that. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think a bigger budget would have helped. I, I still love this with its low budget charm. Yeah, it's charming. Yeah, it, it, it's endearing. I, I will definitely say that. Uh, one of my favorite low budget filming stories is about. Night of the Comet, how apparently they just got up like super early to film oh, yeah. because they like, didn't have the budget to to block off streets in in I think it was L.A. that it was shot. Yeah, right. And it's a post apocalyptic film, so they shot it like five in the morning. Yeah. And there's like no one on the street. Works, man. Yeah, it worked. One of my favorites is as I've mentioned, Masters of the Universe was always one of my favorite movies. Final, I'm not trying to spoil too many movies, but I guess if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you've heard, seen some of these movies. But Masters of the Universe, there's a great fight scene at the end between He-Man and Skeletor, and it's dark, and all their swords are clashing together, and there's light and lightning flowing there, and it's in the dark. Only later in my life did I learn that that's because they had gone over budget, and the studio came in and literally cut the lights off on that fight scene. That's why it's in the dark. <laughs> like, the studio cut the lights off. 
And Life Force actually, like I mentioned earlier, took some of the budget <laughs> yeah. away from Masters of the Universe. And both of those movies had very high budgets. Yeah. Although, you, I think you'll agree with me after you see Life Force. I think it was worth it. Okay, cool. It was I'm excited absolutely about that. Worth it. That's cool. I hear it's insane. Oh, so. <laughs> it, it's it's nuts. It just keeps changing genres. Awesome. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'm into it. We'll we'll watch it. So oh, why don't we rate this bad boy? Okay. Oh man, me first. I've been really, um, I've been really struggling because once again, I've listened to the podcast. I know you guys rate the movies, so I'll say like, I don't think it's fair to compare this film to like a Casablanca or something like that. You know what I mean? I can't rate this on the same scales I would rate Casablanca or The Godfather. I have to rate this film for what it is. My first thought was just to be like straight up five stars, but it's not a five star <laughs> movie, and I know it's not a five star movie. So I've been thinking about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna admit some of the flaws. I'm gonna admit some of the wooden acting. I'm gonna admit you know that the plot is a little haphazard, but for what it is, it's just like obviously I'm really excited about it. Obviously excited a lot of people. I'm gonna give it a four, man. I'm gonna give this movie a four. Yeah, four stars. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think a four is a very fair rating. I, I had a lot of the same thoughts because it is not a flawless film. No, at all. Yeah, it's it's pretty low budget, and you can see that in a lot of places, especially the acting, which is for the most part very flat, and the script. I but I loved how just simple and effective the plot was, and I think that really accented a lot of the fight scenes. Yes. Because like that is where this movie really shines. It's the like the final fight, like I mentioned, it's one of the greatest fight scenes I've seen in any movie or TV show. The Ninja Showdown is phenomenal. And I did appreciate the dedication to the art of being a ninja with yeah. using a number of the different weapons, not just the stereotypical like throwing star. Yeah. And I loved a lot of the fight scenes with the kid. Yeah, those great. were marvelous. And I, it was hard for me to think of another time when I've seen a kid just completely kick ass like that. It's awesome. Show was super proud of his son, and like you know, he taught him all that stuff. So, and uh, I obviously didn't hear the director's commentary track, but I agree with what you said. Furstenberg commented that you know what this film doesn't really take itself too seriously, and I think that's kind of perfect. Like for a film yeah. like this, I'm gonna go ahead and give it a. I'm gonna give it a 3.7. Hey man, that's cool. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, I was very pleased. Uh, I'm very glad that you picked this one. Yeah, man, I'm I'm super glad you brought me on to talk about this. I love this movie. So, yeah, yeah this was fun. And once again, where can the good people follow you? Yeah, so I'm once again I'm Wes Clifton. You can find me on Instagram at Cliff Weston. Um, and then I, like I said, if you want to check out some of my writing, that would be awesome. Uh, I've been published a couple times in Weird Book Magazine, and uh, I have a website where I have details about that stuff, and it's just WD Clifton. Uh, that's D as in Dale, my middle name, wdclifton.wordpress.com. Yeah, thanks again for listening, guys. Uh, if you like this episode, head over to iTunes, go ahead and give us a review, give us a rating. It really helps us out. Subscribe. You can also check us out on Stitcher, Podcast Addict, pretty much wherever podcasts are available. If you want to follow me, you can check me out at Mitchell C. Long on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow us at Celluloid Fiends on Facebook and on Twitter. And you can re- read my writing on film, music, tech, and a lot more at cupofmo.com. Also, let us know what films you want us to review. And if you do, we'll give you a shout out on the show.
God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time. You've got to... Please stop it. Stop it now. Turn it off. Turn it off. Stop it. 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 Stop it.